0: All right, good. I'd like to take you to the Gospel of Luke. If you want to be turning there, that would be just grand. Luke, and may I remind you as you're turning there, that Luke is a medical doctor. And medical doctors are usually pretty sharp. And when it comes to the Greek, Luke is probably the most wonderfully written book in the New Testament. Luke gives us all kinds of information about this new phenomenon called Jesus. You might find this kind of interesting that Luke is the largest book in the New Testament. When you come to Luke chapter 4, our text here this morning, everything about this new phenomenon called Jesus, people, has been positive. Everything has been positive. Things are going great. The Bible's going to tell us that Jesus is in the middle of immense popularity. Everybody likes him. And uh, so when we come to Luke chapter 4, please try to keep that in mind. Everything is going well. And in Luke chapter 4, and if if you'll look with me, please, at verse number 14 is where I'd like to begin. Verse number 14, watch this carefully. The Bible tells us, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, just means he's led of God, into, say the next word out loud. Would you look this way, please? Got to know this. Let me do a real quick geography lesson. I realize most of you know this, but let's just review Way up north, this is all Israel right here, way up north is an area called Galilee. In the middle is a no-man's area called Samaria, and down south is an area called Judah. More Jews lived in Galilee than they did in Judah. Judah is where Jerusalem is. But if you wanted to have a comfortable way of living, if you wanted to provide for your family, you would prefer to live in Galilee over Judah. Historians tell us it was five times more expensive to live in Judah than it was to live in Galilee. There were all kinds of trade routes that went through Galilee. There were none that went through Judah. Judah was kind of considered archaic, dusty, old-fashioned. But they had a saying in Israel that went like this. If you want to be wealthy, go north. If you want to be godly, go south. People down south in Judah looked down their noses at Jews that lived in Galilee. Please remember that. And you've just been told that Jesus is now returning in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. We love Galilee because we remember that that's where he grew up. Well, when he got there, stuff's going to happen. Now, what has happened when you come to Luke chapter 4 is that Jesus has introduced himself as the Messiah. Everybody in Israel believes he's a prophet. Nobody debates that. This guy's doing miracles. And for the first time after declaring himself, he is now coming back to Galilee. He's been down south. That's where he got baptized. That's where he ran into John the Baptist. He's done some miracles down there. His reputation has gotten out. And for the first time after introducing himself publicly, he is now returning to Galilee. Now let's read on. Could we please verse 14? And Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit in Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. Let me tell you what that means. Everybody, including the surrounding nations, have heard about this phenomena in Israel called Jesus. You've got to remember that Israel is surrounded by enemies. And when a prophet arose, and there hasn't been one for 500 years, when a prophet arose up in Israel, that was always bad news for their enemies because God would interact with Israel. And defeat enemies. So you gotta know that Syria has heard about this phenomena. Lebanon has heard about this phenomena. Saudi Arabia's heard about it. Egypt's heard about it. Edom's heard about it. Moab's heard about it. They've heard about this phenomena called Jesus. The Bible also tells us that there was a fame that went through all the region round about. So in Israel, everybody's heard about this phenomena called Jesus. He is in the middle of great popularity. In fact, look at the next verse, verse number 15. The Bible tells us, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of who? Let me tell you what that means. Everybody liked him. He's teaching in their synagogues. People, let me tell you about a synagogue. You didn't just show up at synagogue and say, hey, I'll take it today. I know a lot about the Bible. In a synagogue, a synagogue is conducted much like you people conduct this Baptist church. Nobody stands behind that desk unless they are invited. What you've just been told is that Jesus is a sought-after speaker. He's being invited by synagogue after synagogue after synagogue to be the preacher, and everybody liked him, even the retirees, even the children. Everybody who heard Jesus preach liked him. There was something winsome about your Savior, people. And by the way, let me go down a rabbit trail just for a moment. There ought to be, if you're a Christian, there ought to be something kind of winsome about you. You ought to be kind of easy to talk to, easy to get along with. You ought to be godly. You ought to be friendly. And by the way, I appreciate so much how many of you, even this morning, went out of your way and came and shook my hand and introduced yourself. That was so nice of you. I met a Penny. I met a a, a Galen. I met a couple of Bobs. Now, I have no idea which one of those names goes with what face, so be patient with me, okay? But thank you for being so friendly. I hope that you're working on your winsomeness. I hope you're easy to talk to. Jesus was. Everybody liked him. And he's teaching in their synagogues, being glorified of everybody. If you'd have heard Jesus preach, people, if you'd have been there, you'd have walked out of the synagogue thinking, wow, that guy was good. I like him. Good preacher. Everybody, folks, everybody liked him. Now watch this, would you? Verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. And all of us know about Nazareth, don't we? Where he had been brought up. And as his habit, his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now watch this. And stood up for to read. Let's pause here for a while. He has now come home for the first time after making it big. He's popular. They'd heard about him in Nazareth that their local boy had gone out in a religious nation and made it big as a religious leader. Now, let me tell you about that synagogue. Nazareth, we believe, was probably a couple thousand living in that city. No doubt there were many synagogues in Nazareth. But the Bible specifically tells you that this is the synagogue that he had been brought up, and this is his home synagogue. He's been invited, people. He's been invited by his hometown synagogue to be the preacher. Now, let me tell you about that synagogue. If it was a normal synagogue, and there's no reason to believe it wasn't, but if it's a normal synagogue, the speaker would have been right here in the middle on an elevated platform. That made it easier to hear him. Here on the main floor where all of you are sitting would have been nothing but men, 12 years of age and older, who've all celebrated their bar mitzvah. All children and all you ladies, all you women would have been up in the balcony surrounding that main floor. That's important to remember as this story unfolds. You have nothing here on the main floor but men, 12 years of age and older. The Bible says that he stood up for to read. Now, folks, who's he looking at? Who's he looking at? Would you play with that for a moment? Who's he looking at? No doubt as he looked at those men, his brothers, he had four, Mark tells us. His brothers are sitting here in the congregation, people that he went to school with, people he went to driver's ed with, you know, played little league baseball, you know, he, and they, they all know him, and he knows, there's an air of familiarity. We don't know if his dad was there, but his dad was probably dead because he's never mentioned. But he knew them, they knew him. In the balcony, his sisters, his mom, aunts, aunt, you know, everybody knew him. There was, they, they, they knew the speaker, and he knew them. Well, folks, let me tell you about that synagogue. For the first time, their boy has returned after making it big. He's famous. He's been doing miracles. Everybody's heard about him. The buzz in Israel is positive. Two incredibly popular figures are ministering around in Israel. One was John the Baptist. Everybody who heard John the Baptist loved him. And Jesus, everybody who heard Jesus loved him. So the air is good. It's positive. And for the first time, Jesus has now returned. Now, can I tell you about that synagogue that morning? I believe, and this is in the white spaces of your Bible, but I believe that particular morning you had something unusual going on. And let me tell you what that is. Your name was Hudson. Hudson. Do all of you know Hudson? What grade are you in? Uh, tenth grade. You're a 10th grader. Boy, you're tall for a 10th grader, okay? <laughs> do all of you know Hudson? Do you, do you know, is he okay? Do you like him? I'm not getting good answers on I that, know. Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little concerned. But let's, let's, uh, let, let me just pick on Hudson for a few minutes. He's big, he can handle it, okay? Let's just all pretend something about Hudson. Let's pretend that Hudson graduates from high school. Now, I'm told that's a little iffy, but um, uh, he graduates from high school. Are you homeschooled, public school, Christian school? Public school, okay. Hudson graduates from high school. And Hudson, he's never shared this with you, but Hudson, way down deep in his 10th grade heart, has a desire to be a politician. He would love to get into politics. There are a lot of young people like that. And way down deep in his heart, and he would never share this with you, but he would love to be one of your two senators from Indiana. He's fascinated by it. But he keeps that to himself. He graduates from high school, goes off to a college. If you want to be a politician, it's really good to be a lawyer because you understand law really well that way. And so Hudson majors in Egoory of John F. Kennedy. At the age of 37, he became a senator in Massachusetts. That's Hudson. Well, now that Hudson's a senator, what is the capital of Indiana anyway? What is it? Indianapolis. Indianapolis. I've been there. Okay. (laughs) Hudson's in Indianapolis. And one day he has one of his many secretaries call pastor. Pastor, this is the office of Senator Hudson. We just want you to know that a week from Sunday, Senator Hudson's going to be in your church. Pastor, we want to give you the heads up. He misses his home church, misses his home people, and he just wants to be there for a Sunday. And, Pastor, we're just giving you the heads up because wherever Senator Hudson goes, there's always an entourage. Secret service, press, assistance. So you're going to have a lot of visitors, Pastor. Just want to give the heads up. Well, that following Wednesday night, Pastor announces, hey, Senator Hudson is going to be in our church this coming Sunday. So word gets out all over this greater area here at Lafayette Word gets out that a senator, a state senator, is going to be here in this auditorium on Sunday morning. What do you suppose your attendance would be like? There would be men here with colds. Men never go to church when they have a little cold, they're so wimpy. But there would be men here with colds. May I suggest that this room would be SRO, standing room only. A celebrity. Is going to be in the congregation. May I suggest to you believers this morning that that's exactly what you've got on this Sabbath morning in that synagogue. Their local Hudson, if you will, has gone out in a political, religious nation and made it big as a leader, and he's doing miracles. Folks, I don't know if you can appreciate that. He's doing miracles. He's doing stuff that people have never in their lives ever seen before or ever even heard of. And he's now coming home for the first time. May I suggest to you that the attendance that morning in that little synagogue was good. And there's an air of excitement. Their local boy is now home for the first time. Now, having set the stage, let's go to verse 17. Could we please? Verse 17. The Bible tells us, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had found the, when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, would you look at me, please, let's set some more stage. There was delivered unto him the prophet Isaiah. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Let me tell you about a synagogue. People, where you guys have in this church a baptistry. Is there a baptistry up there, Pastor? There's no baptistry. Most, most Baptist churches, what is wrong with you people? But uh, most churches have a, a baptistry up there, and and uh, but but in a synagogue they don't have a baptistry. They're kind of like you guys. There's nothing. I mean, but 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 uh, up there, up in a synagogue, they have what is called. Hear me carefully. This is so good. To this day, they have in every synagogue up front what is called the ark. The ark is a big old closet, a big armoire, if you will. Might have curtains. It might have fancy doors. But that is where you, a local congregation, a local synagogue, kept your copies of the Bible. Nobody had a personal copy of the Bible. If you wanted to read the Bible, you had to go to the local synagogue. It was like a library. And so there in the ark is where you kept your collection of the Bible. Given how wealthy this particular synagogue was, kind of determined how much of the Bible you actually owned and had. But we do know that they did have the school of Isaiah. Folks, Jews love Isaiah. If you ever go to Jerusalem, they have a museum there called the Museum of the Scroll. And in the museum, the centerpiece is a huge Dead Sea Scroll found. One of the Dead Sea Scrolls, a complete, beautifully preserved copy of Isaiah. It's huge. And they put it in a circular display, airtight glass, circular display. And you can walk around. And if you know Hebrew, you can read it. That whole display of Isaiah is on a vault, on a cylinder that should Jerusalem ever come under attack, the whole copy of Isaiah will go into a nuclear-proof vault to protect it. That's how much they love Isaiah. And folks, you've got to understand, they absolutely adore Isaiah. And there are men in this synagogue, old codgers probably, that had the entire book memorized. That is not unusual. It is not unusual to meet people who've got the Bible memorized. G. Campbell Morgan had the entire Bible memorized. Francis Havergal a young lady who's in your, all through your hymn book, by the time she died in her early 40s, she had the entire New Testament and most of the Old Testament memorized. That's not unusual. Christian, get busy. God wants his people learning his word, making a part of their life, making a part of their thought life. So there were no doubt men on this main floor in that synagogue that had the entire scroll memorized. But the Bible tells you that there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Let me tell you about a synagogue. We have come to the preaching. We've come to the message. And the speaker, no doubt, has requested, I would like the scroll of Isaiah. There is an officer in that church, in that synagogue, excuse me. There's an officer. You elected him. You chose him. We'll pretend it's this gentleman right here. His name, as you told me, but I forgot. Jerry. Jerry. We'll pretend it's Jerry. Now, you elected Jerry because Jerry is very intelligent. Evidently, they agree. I didn't hear any laughter. (laughs) Jerry's very intelligent, and it's his job and only his job. He's the officer. There's a special name for him. It's in Hebrew. But it's his job and only his job to handle the sacred scriptures. The Jews would always stand at the reading of God's word. So when the speaker that morning, Jesus, got up, he said, I like the school of Isaiah. All of you are standing. And Jerry, Officer Jerry, would then walk very ceremoniously to the ark. He would pull open the doors of the curtain. He would pull out Isaiah, take off the linen dust cover, and then he would parade. He would march around the entire congregation while all of you are standing singing psalms about the Bible singing psalms about the Bible. There are a lot of them, you know. Psalm 119 is one of them. that has got a verse you're memorizing with me. Oh, how love I thy law! They would sing that. So here Officer Jerry is. He walks around the entire congregation holding the Isaiah while you're singing about it. Then Officer Jerry would then walk to the platform where the speaker is. He would lay it down on the podium and then stand right next to the speaker. Let me tell you why. Officer Jerry knows Hebrew. The speaker knows Hebrew. All you people who live in Nazareth, you speak Aramaic. So whoever the rabbi was on any given Sabbath, they're going to have to translate from Hebrew into Aramaic on the spot. That officer would stand next to the speaker to give assistance so they gave the most accurate rendering they possibly could to the Bible. They were very careful about that. I have a feeling that on this particular morning, the officer didn't have to say anything. The speaker is perfect. Could I get an amen? Amen. This will blow your minds. The speaker wrote it. Wow. Well, the Bible tells us that the officer would have stood there and Jesus took them to a verse that all of them knew. It was like the John 3, 16 of Isaiah. They all knew it. What he's going to do is he's going to quote, he's going to read Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, but he's going to do something that's going to bother them. Let's read it, could we please? Look, 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 look at, look at what, verse number, where am I? Verse 18. Now, friends, let me just warn you. If you were to go back to Isaiah in your English Bible, It reads differently than it does in Luke. Is Luke inspired? Well, then how do you explain the difference? What you have in Luke, people, Luke is giving you a Holy Spirit inspired commentary on Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. Fascinating. Now, how did that happen? Well, let me tell you how it happened. The original text was in Hebrew. On this Sabbath morning, they're going to read it in Aramaic. Luke is going to record it in Greek. And you and I are about to read it in Indiana English. Four generations of language. That explains the difference. But it's still inspired. Amen? All right. Now let's read it. Watch watch what he does. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Would you look at me, please? Every Jew in that synagogue would have asked the question, Who's me? Who's me? They have three options. Me could be the nation of Israel. Israel is referred to in a pronoun like that in Isaiah. Me could also be Isaiah himself because Isaiah does refer to himself. Or me could be the Messiah because the Messiah is talked about a lot in Isaiah. Which one is it? How do you know? You know, and this is good homiletics, people. This is good Bible. You know by the context. So let's look at the context. Let's read on. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath, next word out loud, congregation. Ding, 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 trumpets, bells, whistles, firecrackers. There you go. There's your clue. When you call the Lord, when you call Jesus by his full name, you call him the Lord Jesus. That word Christ is Latin. And it is a derivative, it is a translation of the word Messiah. Messiah. The word Messiah literally means anointed one. When you call Jesus by his full name, you say the Lord, which means master, Jesus, which means savior, and Christ, which means anointed. He's the anointed one. So every Jew knew, oh, this is the verse. That's why they loved it. This is a verse about the Messiah. Oh, we love the Messiah because he's going to come someday and he's going to make us great again like we were under David, who they called David. He's going to make us great again, the world-dominant power. And folks, is that true? Absolutely. It's called the millennium. Israel's going to be far more powerful than America ever thought of being. It's going to be world-dominant. Do they know that? Yes, they know that. It's so all through the Old Testament and New Testament too. They know that. So you got, can you understand? They love this. They love this passage. But we got a problem. We got a problem. Let's read on. Let's read on. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. Would you look at me for a second? This is kind of free. Folks, every Jew knew. Nuns, they don't necessarily like it. But every Jew knew that whoever the Messiah was when he came, his number one mission was to preach. I think very few Christians realize that. His number one mission was to preach. Yes, he died on the cross. But his number one purpose before dying on the cross was to preach. And may I remind you Christians this morning that all through the centuries, young people listen, all through the centuries, God has always used preachers watch your attitude i know you hear the same guy sunday after sunday after wednesday after wednesday and it's easy if you're not careful retirees to develop an attitude been there done that bought the t-shirt be careful god has always used preaching and wants to still could i get an amen he wants to still but it all depends on your attitude, young people. Your attitude, retirees. Your attitude, adults. Watch your attitude. Every Jew knew the Messiah is going to be a preacher. And what's so fascinating about this particular passage, people, is he's going to give you his outline. It's going to, here's what he preached. When you read about Jesus preaching, here's what he preached. You ready? Let's read on. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the... What, folks? God. Gospel. What's the gospel? Yeah, it's more than good news, but we'll get there, okay? Let's, let's read on. Preach the gospel to the next word out loud. We got a problem. We got a big problem. I, your rabbi, would have taught you Jews. When we came to that word poor, I would have told you, that is not you. No Jew is ever poor. We are rich. We're the apple of God's eye. We 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 are his chosen race. No Jew is ever poor. Evidently, our Messiah is going to have some kind of ministry to those losers in Indiana called Gentiles. That's what they thought. That's what they were taught. It gets worse. Let's read on. Preach the gospel to the poor. And by the way, that word poor means destitute. So poor you can't even beg. That's all you can do is beg. Poor to, and hath sent me to heal the broken heart. That means broken over sin. Your rabbi would have taught you, no, that's not you. You don't have to worry about sin. You got the Passover. You got that temple down there in Jerusalem. We've all been there at least once a year. That, That is not you. That's Gentiles. Let's read on. To preach deliverance to the captives. That means addicted to sin. Can't be a Jew. And the recovering of the sight, To to the blind or ignorant, can't be a Jew. They got the Pentateuch. To set a liberty, them that are bruised, damaged by sin, can't be a Jew. And then we come to the good part, people. Here's the part the Jews loved. Verse 19. To preach the acceptable, that just means when he's coming, year of the Messiah, the Lord. Period. Did you see the period? You gotta know. What's the next verse? What's the next phrase? And he closed the book. And he closed the book. Folks, you've got to know, there were all kinds of old coders sitting on the main floor that were bothered by that. Hey, young man, you left out the best part. There's no period there. If you go back to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, the next phrase after that, folks, there's a comma. And the next phrase says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jews are very, very interested in vengeance. They even sing about it in the book of Psalms. Why do they get vengeance? What is that all about? God is going to rain judgment on the entire Gentile race for the way they've treated the Jews. When does that happen, Christians? When does that happen? Let me help you. Tribulation. Folks, they're looking forward to it. They're looking forward to God raining down judgment on the Gentiles. Have Jews ever been persecuted? <laughs> Duh. Yeah, God's going God's to gonna judge that. He is. They're looking forward to it. But the speaker that morning, their homeboy, left that part out and put a period. It's like your pastor getting up on Easter saying, okay, I want to bring a message on John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, let's go home. Well, who cares if God gave his son if you and I don't get saved? They could care less about the Gentile thing. They could care less about the Messiah unless they get their vengeance but he closed the book why would he do that folks why would he do that because he knew he wasn't there yet to get vengeance he knew that they didn't so what happens let's read on and he closed the book and he gave it again to the officer the minister and sat down now we think of sit down as somebody being done no 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 no. sitting was a position of authority we still have that tradition today. When you become the head of a school, sometimes they'll call you a chairman. A chairperson. Sitting was kind of a position of authority. So he's about to sit down and be the preacher. All right, let's read on. Now, you've got a very interesting phrase here, folks. It's so fascinating. But it almost seems irrelevant. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened or glued on him. Who cares? Well, of course they were. He's the speaker. Duh. Why do we need to do that? Why why, why do we need to know that? Why why, Why would Luke put that in there? I'll tell you why. Those Jews, people, had been taught for a thousand years. Of all the Jewish eyes that have ever been created, the most blessed, the most happy, are those who get to look at the Messiah. Of all the Jewish ears that have ever been created, the most blessed are those who get to personally hear the Messiah. Little did they know that Sabbath morning... They were those eyes. They were those ears. No Sabbath in Nazareth had ever started so gloriously. They are looking and listening at the Messiah. At the Messiah. Here he is. There he is right there. Well, folks, look what happens. Verse number 21. And he began. You don't have the whole message, folks. You just had the proposition, the thesis. And he began to say unto them, and let me just shrug, guys, the next phrase. Could I please? Let me have a little fun with you. Here's what the preacher's gonna preach. I'm here. Here I am. I am the Messiah. I want all you know, here I am. Can any of you this morning appreciate why they might have a little hard time with that? Your dad and your brothers are sitting right there. Your mom's right there, your sisters are right there, and everybody knew him. And they knew the Messiah comes from royalty, not Nazareth. You're a blue-collar kid. Your dad's a contractor, He builds furniture, works with wood. The Messiah is kingly. How in the world can you be the Messiah? I can appreciate that, people. What? But, but, but we've heard about the miracles, and to be honest with you, folks, the reason that they were so excited is they wanted to see it. They, they were coming for a show. They were coming for a show. We want to see miracles. But can you understand why they might have a hard time with that? Now watch this, would you? You've got a very interesting verse here. Verse number, where am I? 22. And all, including the retirees and teenagers, and all bear him witness and wondered, at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said in their hearts, is not this a blue-collar kid? They wondered. What a fascinating phrase, folks. I love this. They wondered at the gracious words. Let me tell you what that means. Americans, gifted speakers, all through the centuries have been able to move people. My last name is Shrock. Schrock is German. Now, I'm probably about as much German as I am Cocker Spaniel. But Germans, let me tell you about Germans. I've been to Germany several times. If you ever go to Germany, you will be impressed with how arrogant they are. They're kind of, they're kind of a very proud people. Now, I realize I might be looking at some, and I've just offended you. I'm in there with you. My last name is Schrock. That's German. But if you go over there, you'll, you'll, you'll really be impressed with the fact that, boy, they're kind of cocky. They're kind of arrogant. Well, let me tell you why. A good German family will teach their children from the crib on up that you are German and therefore probably a superior thinker. And they've got some ammo. The greatest. You German? Oh, yeah. so you're smarter than he is. OK. Yeah. Well, that, of course you are. Yeah. The woman always is. Yes. They've got some ammo. The greatest composer, and music's always been big to mankind. The greatest composer ever was a man by the name of Bach. Guess what nationality? German. Second to him, Beethoven. Guess what nationality? German. The greatest thinker in modern era, Einstein. Guess what nationality? German. Our NASA space program has its roots in German scientists. I flew yesterday on a lanyard wing jet. Guess where it had its origin? Germany. Ever heard of a Mercedes? Ever heard of a BMW? They're kind they're of no, 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 notorious as being good cars. They've, kinda, they've got some ammo. They've got some ammo. But yet I could tell you about a window in, in history, of German history, when a kook came along and said, Hey, if we promote blonde hair and blue eyes and shoot Jews, we can be the world dominant power. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Oh, yeah, okay. What? What was Hitler's secret, people? We lose this in history. He was a great speaker. He practiced with coaches. He practiced with tape recorders. Churchill did the same thing. They were both very gifted communicators. Good speakers have always been able to move people. If I were to go around this room and ask you who your favorite preacher is, every one of you would have a different answer. Their personality, their humor, their looks, whatever, just meshes with you. You've all got favorites. And may I remind you Americans that every occupant in our White House for the last 50 years has been there because they're really good on TV. They know how to speak. They're good public speakers. Now, why that's funny, I'm not sure. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, please come tell me afterwards, okay? Maybe you're thinking about Biden. I don't know. But, uh, um, but, but they're but the, the, the gifted speakers. They really are. Folks, now, let me tell you. Here's my point. These people in that synagogue are listening. Oh, this will give you goose pimples. These people in that synagogue are listening to the best preacher they've ever heard. You say, Mike, how do you know that? Well, come on. He's perfect. He's perfect. Now, now, now stay with me. That means he had perfect diction. Perfect articulation, perfect gestures, perfect understanding of his text, perfect delivery, perfect use of language, perfect use of illustration, perfect understanding of his congregation. When he looked at you, he knew exactly what was going on in your head. He had perfect delivery, a perfect outline, a perfect message. And the Bible tells us that they wondered. You know what that means? They all got it. Nobody walked out of the synagogue thinking, hmm, I wonder what he meant. I mean, what's the point? They all got it. And what was his point? I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. And none of you are going to heaven unless you put your faith and trust in me. Wow. Wow. Now, let's read on. Could we please? I got about five more minutes. Hang in there. Hang in there. Watch this now. And he said unto them, okay, would you look at me? Let me tell you what's going to happen. If you ever go to seminary you will learn if you've got a good professor you will learn that every good message and this is good for you men to hear and you ladies too every good lesson every good message always has illustrations spurgeon himself said that illustrations are in a message what the windows are to the auditorium they let the light in that is so true Theology can be kind of hard to understand, it can be abstract, but when you liken it to an object lesson, when you liken it to a story, when you liken it to a picture, it's like, oh, I, I, I get it now, and Jesus is going to use two illustrations, both of which were from the Bible, both of which were from the Old Testament, he's going to give them two illustrations, his whole theme is, I'm the Messiah, none of you are going to heaven, none of you are going to heaven, dad, mom, none of you are going to heaven. Unless you put your faith and trust in me. And he uses two illustrations. And folks, I can promise you, they hated both of them. They hated both of them. Because in both illustrations, a Gentile was preferred over a Jew. And you know why? Because they had simple faith. They had simple faith. What are those illustrations? Let me quickly summarize them for you. The first one, he talks about a woman a Gentile woman who was a widow. Folks, would you please understand that in the Jewish mind, you could not get any lower on the social ladder than to, first of all, be a woman. The Jews believed that women were second class, equivalent to animals. Men were at the top. Women were second class, even a Jewish woman. They believed that it was God's judgment if a woman became a widow, God's judgment was on her life. And then to be a Gentile widow, you could not get any lower in the Jewish mind. And yet Elijah was sent to a widow, a Gentile widow in Phoenicia, where Jezebel came from. It was a wicked city called Sarepta. And Jezebel. Elijah was sent there, and you remember what happened? This woman is about to starve to death. she has a son. They're just about out of meal. Elijah shows up and says, give me a scone, make me a scone, I'm hungry. And she, the Bible tells you very specifically, she believed in God. And she knew Elijah was God's man, and so by faith, by faith, she took all that she had, the rest of what she had, the oil and, and, the, and, the, and whatever it was, and made the prophet a meal. And what happened, folks? You remember what happened? That meal, that oil never ran out. All through that famine, even though in Israel there was all kinds of famine, all kinds of death, and yet God's man was sent to a Gentile widow. You know why? She had faith. She had faith. The second one is just like it. A Gentile terrorist. And again, folks, you've got to understand this would be so offensive to a Jewish mind. A Gentile terrorist who picked on Jews. His name was Naaman and came down with leprosy. Again, in the Jewish mind, leprosy was always a sign of God's judgment. So here in their mind is a Gentile terrorist who God's judging and his little Jewish slave says, I know about a prophet in Israel that can help you. His name is Elisha. Go see him. What does Naaman do? You know the story well, don't you? He gets there, and he's told by Elisha. Baptize yourself seven times in the muddy Jordan. Oh, that offended Naaman. Folks, I don't know if you've been to Israel, but I highly recommend it. And when you see the Jordan River, you're going to be very disappointed. It's nothing like the, what's the river you've got here? Wabash, thank you. That goes up to Chicago, doesn't it? The Wabash River? It doesn't? Okay, excuse me. the, the, I, I saw it yesterday earl, earl took me by there and i, I got to see the river nice, nice river probably people swimming it the jordan river is nothing like that not a thing it's kind of swampy it's kind of yucky in most parts and this wealthy famous general is told to go and dip himself seven times in gunk what was his initial reaction no way we got better rivers in Damascus. no no way we got better rivers in syria <laughs> no way but he was encouraged by his followers hey why don't you give it a try? And so by faith, Naaman dips himself seven times. What happens, folks? He gets cured. And what is Jesus trying to tell those Gentile, or those Jews? Until you see yourself as poor, captive, blind, ignorant, and you put your faith and trust in me, just like Naaman did, just like that Phoenician woman, you put your faith and trust in God, you are going to heaven. Well, folks, let me close here, okay? I got two minutes. Perfect. What could I have said in Sunday school this morning that would offend you men so much you would throw me out of the building? What could I have said? I'm a big Seattle Seahawks fan. Could I promote them for a while? Would that offend you? Because I know you're in Indiana, and what's your, what's your football? Oh, the Colts. The Colts, yes. The Colts. Are, are there Colts fans here? You're looking at me like I'm bald. Have I stepped into an area that uh, is not good? What, what could I have said? You know, what kind of material? I mean, I, and I could, we could get very graphic. There, there are all kinds of subject matter that I could have brought up that would offend you guys so much, you would throw me out of the building, and rightfully so. Well, folks, that's exactly what Jesus did. Do you think he knew that he was offending him? Well, Watch this. Look at, look at how it ends. Verse number 20. The entire floor comes forward. Comes forward. Look at verse 28. Watch it carefully because I'm going to jerk your chain. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with conviction and rose up and walked the aisle and got on their knees at the old-fashioned altar and got saved. And there was a great revival in Nazareth that day. Is that what it says? Would that it did. Would that it did. Because most of those occupants in that synagogue, no doubt right now, are suffering in an indescribable place called hell. How sad. No Sabbath ever started so wonderfully in that synagogue and ended so tragically. They weren't about to put their faith and trust in a carpenter's kid. Even though they knew about the miracles but the Bible actually tells you they led him to a cliff in order to throw him and somehow some way he just slipped through their midst and made his home base in Capernaum. Made his home base in Capernaum. He's going to come back to Nazareth one more time and the same thing's going to happen. And friends, I will close with this. Here I am at Berean Baptist Church. I like that name. I grew up in a Berean Bible church out in Seattle. I like Berean. But I want you folks to know none of you are going to heaven. None of you. Unless you've seen yourself as a loser, captive, undeserving, and you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you've done that. Let's have a word of prayer. Father. God, thank you for Sunday school. Thank you for the time we had together. Lord, I pray that if there's a young person or an adult here that just is not sure about this, that God, you'd give them a, a thirst, give them a hunger to know more. And God, I pray that you would use this lesson just to challenge us. Lord, perhaps we've made somebody thirsty this morning and they'll go home and look at this passage some more, get more nutrient out of it. But God, I do pray That you would fill Berean Baptist Church with believers who love you, love your word, and can't get enough of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Are they dismissed?